Amen. Good morning. We're in Mark chapter 1. We'll be this morning in verse 14 through 28. We're going to finish Mark chapter 1 before, you know, 4th of July. So, Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we come to you this morning desperate to hear from your word. Come on, this is our bread, Lord. We give you our full attention. We ask, Spirit, that you would continue to move and minister. Lord, we bring our hearts yielded to be taught, to be corrected. And we love you. I love you. Church, just tell them, just tell them, you're so beautiful, so wonderful, so good, Lord. Be with us in this time. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. And all the saints said, amen. Amen. I was thinking this week about John Wycliffe. Um, we've talked about him before, so you know a bit. Remember, um, the big debate was whether or not the scriptures should be translated into English from the Latin, which was really common in the day. One of uh, Wycliffe's contemporaries said this. He said, Christ gave his gospel to the clergy and the learned doctors of the church so that they might give it to the laity and to weaker persons. According to the message of the season and personal need, the pearl of the gospel is not to be thrown before swine and trodden underfoot. The jewel of clergy is not to be turned to the sport of laity. Now, Wycliffe uh, thought that that was ridiculous and that uh, there was no distinction in the scripture necessarily between, um, like, like laity is not a biblical word. Um, saints is a biblical word who do the work of the ministry would be a biblical phrase. And so Wycliffe was really frustrated with the idea, um, and it was it was a really sunk idea, that the church should only have the scriptures in Latin, as if they were given in Latin in the first place, um, should only have the scriptures in Latin, and that only the priests should be able to read, and that the, the saints should never have access. Now, Wycliffe was really frustrated because how do you store up the word in your heart if you don't have it to sit in front of you and memorize it? Like, how do you, how do you set your mind? How do you trust and love the things of the, of the, of the word if you don't have access to it? And so he thought that was ridiculous. And so he began translating Latin into English and, um, was resisted really harshly for it. And Wycliffe worked at Oxford and he had some friends that were very, uh, elite. And so he got himself out of trouble a time or two, um, by having some politician friends. Hey, no shame. You do you, man. Um, when I've told you before, when Wycliffe died, it was months later that he was declared a heretic, and the the Catholic Church dug up his bones and burned them and threw them into the river um, as if he cared that they burned his bones. Um, <laughs> I, I made it without you, so that's good. Um, but I was thinking this week about a group that we haven't talked about, and Wycliffe's disciples or the people that really grabbed hold of his teaching and tried to build their lives on it, they were called lollards. Um, the etymology of that word is a bit confusing. It means mumblers or babblers. Some scholars think they were called lollards because what they did was la, 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 they, they gabbed. Um, the idea of lollards were that they loved the word, they studied the word, and they preached the word in the common language, which would have been English, which many considered profane. And so the Lollards were this group of people who really hung, clap, hung fast to the Wycliffe's teaching. Now, in the, we're talking 
Wycliffe died in like 1386. So we're talking pre-Reformation. Wycliffe is called the Morning Star of the Reformation. Um, so the Lollards, after Wycliffe's death, began to be persecuted for having the scriptures in English, reading them out loud. Um, and so one of the things the Lollards did was they began to organize themselves and memorize whole chunks of scripture and then rename themselves on the basis of the scripture that they memorized. For instance, if you memorize the Gospel of John, your name would now be John. So when you stood up in front of the church, you would introduce yourself as John, and then you would quote them all the Gospel of John. And so they give themselves to this work of, Wycliffe taught them to love the word, and so they decided that what they would do is really love it. And so I, I the, the joke sometimes when people tell this story is that you would want to be like third John because it's like really short. Um, um, that would have been Brad's. We would have been like, no, <laughs> dude, that dude don't got any. Come stuff real short. Um, I was just teasing. Um, Brad's my guinea pig joke for Radder today. Next week could be seven. Um, what we find in this idea that Wycliffe led and gave himself for was that there were people who believed it enough to risk their lives, sweat for it. Like memorization is not easy work. Sweat, memorize big chunks of scripture, then change their name, and then and then risk their lives to stand up and quote it as if anybody knew what they were quoting anyway. Um, and we find there this picture of discipleship, that discipleship always included risking something. Discipleship always involved the idea of, of having some sweat equity in the thing. Discipleship was always the idea of being molded into something different, becoming something. And what we find this morning as we turn to Mark chapter 1, again, we're going to find Jesus calling the first four disciples. And as he calls them, he's calling them to leave their trade, to, to leave their ability to earn income, to risk their lives, to be made something to be made fishers of men, to be made workers in this kingdom work. And so much in the Western church, you've heard me say this a hundred times, here you go again, so much in the Western church, what we want is easy, easy believism. But but this gospel was never supposed to be just another new religion of ideologies that you came to confess. This gospel demands that you change your life, sell everything you have, possess the pearl of great price. This gospel will cost you something, carry a cross. Let's read from Mark chapter 1, and then I'm going to try to see how much I can yell at you this morning, okay? Teasing. Mark 1, we'll start in verse 14, okay? We're going to go through 28. Now, after John was arrested, this would be John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you come fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. And they went into Capernaum. Watch verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished as, at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And so they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. At the fulfillment of John's ministry, remember John was arrested for rebuking Herod for marrying his brother's wife. At the fulfillment of John's ministry, as he goes to his imprisonment, Jesus steps onto the scene again, as if there's a baton being passed from one to the other. And Jesus steps onto the scene proclaiming the gospel of God. I've heard many say, in kind of a very socially liberal context, that preaching is not central to Christian ministry. Well, Jesus came out proclaiming. That means heralding, projecting his voice to declare the gospel of God, lifting up his voice and exhorting. And his message was that the time is fulfilled, the kairos, the, the Greek there means uh, the, uh, the literal moment has come. What is the fulfilled time? What is the long-awaited expectation that the kingdom would arrive? Now notice that the entire um, revolving of the gospel and the kingdom being at hand and the time being fulfilled has to do with Jesus. The central message of Christianity has always been the life and death of the person of Jesus Christ. Christianity without Jesus is not Christianity at all. And Jesus must be the center. He must be central. He must be the centrality of our thinking, of our worship, of our loving, of our celebrating. Are our lives being shaped to look like Jesus? If we're just shaping ourselves to look like modern Western Christianity, shame. But let's shape ourselves to look like Jesus, the center of the message. When he came, the time was fulfilled. And everything that history had waited for, longed for, expected, it appeared when Jesus came out proclaiming. He's the heart of the matter. The long-awaited time has appeared. The king of the kingdom has come. And now notice that Jesus preaches the gospel, proclaims the gospel, that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, and on the basis of that proclamation, he demands two things. Repentance, that Greek word metanoia. So the kingdom, uh, the message of the kingdom is, is, is not just healing and deliverance, although that's definitely a central part. The message of the kingdom always came with repent. We do everything we can to avoid that message. Jesus did everything he could to make sure that it was prominent. Repent. That means turn. It means change the way you think. Abandon the values of culture and society and all of her agendas and all of her propagating up of, of sinful life. Abandon it. Repent and turn to follow me. Repent. The second word, he says, repent and believe. Pistis is the Greek there. That's the basis for the word faith. What are we believing? We're believing that he's king and that he's here and that he comes to bring newness of life, that he comes to bring his authority, the kingdom of God. We are repenting and leaving our old lives and hoping, putting all of our faith and trust and ambition in the message. So he says, the kingdom is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Turn ways and believe that what I'm telling you is true. Do you really believe 
have you really repented and believed if all you've done is believe in ideology? If what we're doing is philosophical, kind of lobbying up of ideas, sitting around the table to debate theology because we really enjoy hearing ourselves talk, or have you believed this message, left your old life behind, and trusted with all of your heart that the kingdom is coming? The kingdom is at hand. So he comes to Galilee and he announces, the time is fulfilled. The Baptist, John the Baptist is arrested. His ministry has come to a conclusion. I have stepped onto the scene to start my ministry, preaching the kingdom. The time is fulfilled. You must repent and believe. And then immediately he turns to begin to call apostles, disciples. He's going to ask these four men to really not leave everything they've known to become kingdom workers. Simon and Andrew. This is obviously Simon Peter. Remember again that we believe that uh, church history teaches that Mark's gospel was Peter's retelling of the story that he dictated to John Mark, his secretary. And so Peter, you know Peter, wants to make sure you know that he was the first here. So Peter and his brother Andrew, church history sometimes calls Andrew, Andrew the introducer. Because every time in the gospel, he's always bringing someone to meet Jesus. So, so Simon, Peter, and Andrew they're fishing, and Jesus comes by and says, follow me. Now, when we were taught this story in Sunday school with the little felt things, you know, we all kind of had this idea that that Jesus, they had never seen Jesus before, and it was just kind of follow me, and they just said, okay. Um, what we know from Scripture, especially from John's account, is that these apostles, they'd already encountered Jesus. Um, it's, there's, it's very likely, and I, I believe firmly, that John's gospel teaches us that um that several of Jesus' disciples were working closely with John the Baptist's ministry. And so when Jesus says, follow me, they know who he is. There's been a rumbling already. They've, they've already heard the message of John the Baptist say, repent and believe. And so it's not as if he walks by and they just go, oh, that's nice. It's, it's like they've, they've, been, they've, been, they've been chewing on some things about their life and what they're called to and what God's doing in their day. So that when Jesus comes by and says, follow me, Andrew and Peter, the brothers, they leave their life's work and they decide to give themselves fully to learning of Jesus, learning of this new rabbi. Now, we know that one of the first miracles that Jesus performs is he heals Peter's mother-in-law. I'm going to teach you guys something. In order to have a mother-in-law, you must have a wife. Okay? Shoot. Education. Education. So Peter had a wife. Peter had responsibilities. Um, Paul says at one point in his epistles, do I not have a right to take a wife as Peter and the other apostles? Um, so we know Peter had responsibilities. And so when Jesus says, follow me, it's not like Peter's a 20-something-year-old uh, in college and he just dropped out. Right? Like he's got mouth to feed and, and a, a public responsibility to provide. And so the following is a big deal. It's going to cost Peter something. It's going to require of Peter real faith. And many times we try to make faith so easy. Just raise your hand. All you have to do is raise your hand. And when Jesus is calling Peter, he's saying, hey, leave everything. Abandon your own sense of responsibility and ability to provide 
Men, we know from basic sociological studies that men very much build their self-worth on their ability to provide and care for their families. Quit that, Peter, and just trust me to care for you. I'll make sure you're fed. But Peter, there's something stirring in their hearts already. And so they, they leave their trade, their ability to provide, and begin to follow Jesus. Next, Jesus comes to two other brothers, James and John, fishing the same sea. And he says, follow me. The scripture says they were mending the nets, so they were they were caring for the ship. What we get when you read this text a little bit closely is that Zebedee, the father of James and John, owned the boat, and he had hired workers. So James and John are not the two fishermen who are kind of making extra change. This is a family business that is prosperous because they have any hired workers. And so when Jesus finds them, they're not just out fishing with their feet up with a rod and reel. When he finds them, they are diligently caring for the boats of their father's business. Okay? And so when Jesus says, follow me, he's not just saying, hey, you're bored out there. You're not catching anything. Come on. Let's go, let's go to, to McDonald's for a burger, right? He's saying, abandon your inheritance. Abandon your family business. Leave your father who you've worked with for your entire life. And the scripture says that they left their father with the hired workers. And this reminds us, it should remind us of Elijah calling Elisha. Do you remember the story? Elisha uh, is called in 1 Kings 19, verses 19 to 21. Elijah the prophet, he went from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. So Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elisha went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Elisha says to Elijah, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah said, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. When you take your, your oxen and you kill them, there's no hope of going back. I wouldn't have done that. Okay, I didn't have a safety net. I said, I'll follow you about two weeks. We'll see how this shakes out, big dog. On the other hand, I like barbecues. Okay, so maybe maybe I will. <laughs> You're like, we know you like barbecues. Look at your hips. Just kidding. What? What did you do? This is what I need to apologize to you guys because we went on a prayer retreat and I had a full night of sleep. And, you know, with my six kids, it just doesn't happen. Um, so I got a little extra juice in the tank. Not used to that. Not used to that. So Elisha, he sells everything. He burns it and he says, the, the, the ambition of my life for now and for the rest of my life will be to follow Jesus. Too many of us say, I'll follow Jesus, but I'm going to keep a little safety net. I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not willing to break off that relationship. I want to love Jesus as an ideology. I want to, I want to be a Christian, but I'm not going to put my alcoholism down. I'm, I'm not going to abandon my selfish ambition to build my own kingdom. My money is mine. Don't touch my money. But watch the disciples just say, I'll abandon it all. Why? Why? There must be something about the man that is so valuable. 
They must see something in Jesus that changes everything. Could it be that we haven't really seen Jesus yet? You haven't been enamored with his glory. You haven't laid on the ground in prayer and wept before his feet and sensed his glory sweep into the room. Could it be that we haven't really known him in the fullness of who he is? Because when you know, when you see, all you can do is say, everything else can go to hell in a handbasket. I've got to have him. The things of this world grow strangely dim. Now, watch the language shift in verse 21. So Jesus came to Galilee, Jesus to Capernaum. Now they, they went to Capernaum. These ex-fishermen, four of them, right? Two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. James and John, interestingly enough, James is going to be the first apostle to lose his head, right? The first apostle to die, and John's going to be the last. We don't really know what happens. We know he's attempted to murder before he went to the Isle of Patmos. But in those two brothers, we find the first apostle to die and the last apostle to die. And But they're both going to live their entire lives and die for the gospel. But now they come to Capernaum. So Jesus is not traveling alone. He's traveling with, with two sets of brothers. And they're going to watch, listen, and learn what the kingdom is about. If the message is the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is here, and I'm going to make you fishers of men, I'm going to, you're going to become something different. What is he saying? I'm going to teach you to be kingdom workers. I'm going to reshape you. I'm going to remold the facets of your life, the inner places of your heart, and you are going to become kingdom workers. So they walk to Capernaum with Jesus, and they're watching in the room in the synagogue as Jesus begins to teach. And, and the scripture tells us that, that Jesus taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes taught. Now, the idea here is that, that many religious teachers, philosophers, they kind of sit in their chair, and they're, they're lobbying these ideologies, like maybe, maybe creation could be this way, or... And it's, and it's a lot of wishy-washy kind of ideas, and, and people's imaginations are teased, and they, they throw ideas around a little more, and everyone feels smart in the room. Jesus really doesn't care if you feel smart right now. He's just going to tell you how it is. He speaks as one with authority. Straightforward, matter-of-fact, law of truth. It is what it is. There's no room for speculation. There's no room for Plato's ideology or, or Philo. There's no room to talk about this rabbi or that rabbi. All there is is this word of truth. Hear it and repent, period. So the whole crowd's going, what is that? No one talks to us like that. No one talks to us like that. What kind of authority does he have? Does he think he has? And then there's a man, you know, again, we're laughing at Mark. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. So he taught with authority, now he's going to display it. Okay, the demon begins to shout, what are you doing with us? I know who you are, holy one of God. Now remember again that the entire Gospel of Mark, it hinges around Mark chapter 8, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? And when Peter says that you're Messiah, the Son of God, the whole gospel shifts and begins to talk about the crucifixion. And so there's this building up to the disciples finally learning who it is they're following. He's, he's not just a man, he's God in the flesh. 
But notice that in Mark 1, the demons already know who he is. They're already shouting, call me one of God. The scripture says that Jesus said, silence, commanded the evil spirit out of him. The man convulsed and he fell and was delivered. The message of this kingdom, again, is not just an ideology. It's an expression of power. It's an expression of deliverance and healing and restitution. When you believe on the gospel, you don't just come to a belief system. You are filled with the very spirit of God and born again. And Jesus has authority in the way that he teaches. And then he has authority in the way that he tells demons, go. And, and we're learning. The disciples, imagine imagine these four fishermen, right? You guys know this, but let's just go there for a second. To be a fisherman uh, just implies that in their younger years, they weren't necessarily sharp enough intelligently, uh, intellectually. They weren't sharp enough to be admitted to the rabbinic schools. Um, this is the way that Jewish young guys were raised. They were educated to a certain period. They were really smart, really sharp. They would continue to be educated in kind of rabbinic literature and the scripture. So if you're a fisherman, you are like a like like a trade person in our day. No, no one's calling you a scholar. So what we have is these four fishermen sitting in their chairs in the synagogue going, what is that? We are supposed to do that. We are going to learn to be like him. And so they're just watching really closely. I don't, I don't know. Take, take notes, Peter. I don't know what he wants us to do. I don't know. Write something down, I guess. Peter's like, I don't know how to write. <laughs> Didn't learn that. I'm teasing. Um, and so, so they're just watching. Jesus just comes in with authority. And when a demonic spirit presents itself, just with all authority, he says, get out. And the spirit gets out. And, and the disciples learn something. That the message is that Jesus is the coming, final, eternal king. And that all darkness, all rebellion, Every every scheme to oppose him, the nations will rage and plot against him, but God will bring full deliverance for his son. And so what they're learning, what the disciples are learning is, one, this is going to cost our lives. Two, he's not calling us to ideas. He's calling us to preach, like, straight up. He's calling us to, to, to declare with authority, to not leave room for speculation. Then they're learning that the kingdom, again, it's, it's, this isn't Plato. We're not learning ideas. We're learning something tangible. This kingdom drives out demonic powers. And so the, the presentation of the kingdom, historically even, is, is always involved signs and wonders and healings and deliverances. It's, it's, it's the manifestation of God's light in the person of Jesus Christ. And again, in, in the West... We want education, but in the gospel, we, we are educated, no doubt. But we're not always educated just by a transfer of, of, of information head to head. Sometimes you're educated by watching a sick person get up just because Jesus said so. There's, there's, this, there's this fullness of the learning experience the disciples are coming to. And one of the first things they learned is the kingdom message is one of authority one of the things, first things they learn is that they're supposed to deal with demons. They're supposed to, when they encounter demonic powers, they're supposed to cast them out. Now, I don't think that that means that we, we look for demons under every rock, okay? Um, I don't think it means that. 
But I do think it means when we're presented with demons, you don't run and hide. Many Christians get real nervous and shaky. Did the disciples just stand on two feet, lift up your voice, go, get up, get out. And uh, there's the kingdom manifestation here as if the person who's been gripped by demonic powers now has the right mind and is able to work and provide for their families. The person with the, whose mind's been tormented by demonic powers, they now can serve their husband or wife with faithfulness. And so the manifestation of power is not just so everyone in the in the room necessarily can see how great you are, but but so many times the ministry of Jesus is about the person in front of them being restored, redeemed, healed, delivered. So what do we learn from the text today? You know, we worked through 14 verses. What do we learn? What does Mark want us to ponder as we read this section of his gospel? One, I think he wants us to hear Jesus say, repent and believe. I think he wants us to, to hear Jesus say to the disciples, follow me. Not, not just an idea, but, but literally abandon everything you know, change all of your life. Let the entire ambition of your life be to learn of me, to grow in my likeness, to declare my teaching. The mission of too many Christians life is to store up wealth. The mission of too many of our lives is to be as comfortable as we possibly can. The church must return to the place where all we're living for is to grow into Jesus' likeness. And then we learn that the gospel is authoritative. The king has dominion and power, and he declares to all, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father as they come through me. You've got to deal with me, trust in me, follow me. And then he's going to show us that even the spiritual realm obeys. So much of this text is about obedience. Peter, Andrew, James, John, obey my command, follow me. Scribes, Pharisees, synagogue, I'm teaching you with authority. Hear and obey me. Demon, go because I said so. He's, he's establishing his own authority, calling us under it, and commissioning us to carry it. I think it just really simply that today would be a good day just to say to Jesus, you have all of me and I want all of you. I want all of the kingdom, healing, deliverance, freedom, blessing and power. The scripture says in Acts 14 that Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel and that the spirit was performing great signs and wonders to show the people that what they said was true. There were demonstrations of power to affirm the proclamation, which we want to say to God, we want all of it, that Jesus be fully glorified. But, but part of the, the idea here is that he's, he's asking us for full obedience, not religious performance. We're not saying today jump through a bunch of hoops and maybe you could be saved. We're saying trust him and you will be saved, period. But the kingdom comes when fishers of men live fully obedient. Why don't you stand to your feet? Seth, would you come for me? We'll get ready to close this morning.